Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that may be visiting or uh, haven't been here in a while, this is our last in a sermon series that we began the Sunday after Labor Day. And the sermon series has been on Romans 1 through 8, which is known as the Gospel According to Paul. And what we're going to do before we actually launch into this final passage, which is the end of Romans chapter 8, is we're going to do a quick review through the first seven and a half chapters. Romans 1. What Paul does is he talks about God's nature in creation, that you can see his character, his nature, his power, and that there's no excuse for not knowing who God is and what he desires of us And that it's also clear that creation is fallen. Romans 2. That the Jews have been given the law and the Gentiles or Greeks or everyone else has been given their consciences to guide them. And that we all fall short of that. Which as you move into Romans chapter 3, he continues to make the case that everyone falls short of God's desire, God's will righteousness, if you will, until he arrives in Romans chapter 3 at the end and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, making the case that we need a Savior. Romans chapter 4. He uses Abraham as an illustration for how we become righteous given the fact that we cannot earn our way or become righteous in and of ourselves. We can't be good enough. And Abraham was a Gentile and then called out from his people, became the first Jew, even before the law was given, because it was literally given hundreds of years later, and then became the father of the Jewish people and the father of faith for all people who would believe in God and eventually through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. That all people are children of Adam and Eve, that sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and that righteousness came into the world through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. That the pervasiveness of sin is throughout the world, but because of Jesus Christ and righteousness that can come through faith, There is the pervasiveness and the power that comes through him poured out in grace available through faith. That grace is God's gift and available to all of us. Romans chapter 7. That there is still a battle. The battle is evident in the world that we combat the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there's also a battle within. Within our own flesh. That we combat every day. We combat constantly. 
Life of the flesh versus life in the spirit. In the beginning of Romans chapter 8, that we can be empowered by the spirit not only to become children of God and heirs, fellow heirs with Christ that we become, we continue to become more and more Christ-like, but to have the power of the Spirit to defeat the power of sin in us. Now, it's hard to believe that I was able to do that in about five minutes instead of all the sermons that I preached. It took a lot less time. But that's really in one or two sentences summarizing all that Paul has done through the first seven and a half chapters, summarizing the gospel. He's built this case of the gospel up to this point. And see, what he comes down to, as he comes down to, as he draws the gospel to a conclusion at the end of Romans 8, is what the purpose of God has been in creation and in redemption, which is God demonstrating, offering His love. Because that's what it's about. And if you don't understand that, you've really missed the purpose of God giving you life, giving you creation, sending Jesus Christ for you and Him dying on the cross, that it's about God's love for you. You've missed it. Because that's the message he's trying to get to you. It's not just about righteousness. Yes, it's about righteousness. It's not just about God's holiness. Yes, it's about his holiness and you becoming more and more like him. If you listen to what was read in Romans chapter 8. And it's about coming to him through Jesus Christ which we hear in the midst of Paul's gospel, but also Jesus, his words in the upper room to his apostles in John 14, that he is the way, the truth, the life. And that through him, we can do his works. We have access to his power. The very throne of grace. But it is all about God's love. And that's what Paul was driving at as he was laying the foundation, as he was laying out the gospel, that you understand this is about God loving you. That you need a Savior. He's offering you a Savior. And it's through that Savior that you experience the love by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins this final section. We know, we know, verse 28, all things work together for good. We know. All things. Isn't it interesting that this section begins with all, and then verse 39, nothing can separate us from the... The love of God. It's an all and nothing passage. It's all and nothing. All things work together for good. Once we're His, all things work together for good. Once we're His, nothing 
can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's an all and nothing passage. And right in the middle of that, there's the question. Who, or some translations, what will separate us from that love? Nothing. Do you catch that? That's the power of this love. And all, all things work together for good. Nothing. It is a comprehensive passage of the love of God. So let's start off with this first word. All things work together for good. Let's stop there. I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many of you really believe that? When you heard that, all things work together for good, how many of you really believe that? I wonder how many of you believe that in your heart of hearts. You might acknowledge that in your head. I wonder how many Christians really believe that. I know many people in the world don't believe that. All things work together for good. I know that. Most people in this place right now, in our lifetime, just think back over what we've experienced. Just beginning with this millennium. 9-11. Terrorist attacks. Massacres in schools. Shootings on the streets. I mean, Savannah is not that large of a city. How many evenings go by that you don't hear of a shooting? Domestic violence. Drunk drivers. We could go on. Let's switch the realm a little bit. Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, natural disasters. Natural violence. Cancer, not age-specific, tax any and every age. Those have touched every one of us. All things work together for good. See, the question underneath that many people ask, particularly when a young person dies... Why? See, because we want everything to go our way. Understand, we think everyone should die at a ripe old age without any pain in their life, right? That's the way it should work. Young people should not die. No one should experience pain. Everybody should have a blessed life. Everybody should experience happiness and pleasure. And then die in your sleep. That's the way it should go. And it's not reality. It's just not. You know that.
All things work together for good for those who love God, and everybody forgets this, and are called according to His purpose. If you love God, that means you trust Him. Do you really trust Him? Or do you only trust Him when it works out your way? Do you only trust Him when He does the purposes that you have in mind, that it works for your purpose, your way, when it works for your ends and not His ends or someone else's ends? Or you're not sure of why it went that way and you just trust Him anyway. I don't know why things work out the way they do sometimes. I can't explain it. That's the nature of trust. See, we want God to do it our way, our purpose. You have to read the whole verse. All things work together for good for those who love God. That's the first point. Because God is all good and He's all loving. And are called according to His purpose. See, the perennial problem that we face, Christianity faces, with Christians themselves and the rest of the world who doesn't believe, theologians and philosophers have wrestled with down through the centuries. It's called the problem of evil. Evil in the world, if God is all good and he's all powerful, why is there evil in the world? There's evil in the world because Adam and Eve, from the beginning, had free choice. They chose contrary to his will. Because they chose contrary to his will, sin entered the world. We live in a fallen world. There's plenty of evidence for that. But if they didn't have free choice, if they didn't have free will, we would all be robots. We would all be puppets. And we don't want that either. Isn't it a funny thing? We want free will. We don't want to be puppets. But we want everything to go our way. Figure that one out. Guess what that means? We want to be God. Guess what? We're not. That's why we have to love God, trust Him. And no matter what happens, trust that He's in charge. See, God has a long-term view. He has an eternal view. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose because He has an eternal view. Death is not the end of the story. That's God's perspective. That's why God says, just trust me. That's why the cross comes before the resurrection. Because God had to deal with our sin. The end result of our free will choice. But then after the cross and the death comes the resurrection to say, see, 
I have you. In the end, I have you. I have your best interest in mind. I love you. I have an eternal perspective. Trust me. Trust my purposes for you. We live in a fallen world. We live with sin around us. You know what's fascinating is, study the life of Christ. Does he ever question whether the Father is good? Does he ever question whether the Father is loving? No. He does pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, please take this cup away. Not my will, but your will be done. I will submit to you because I trust you. Not my purpose, your purpose. Study Paul's letter to the Second Corinthians, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 8, and by the time you get to chapter 12, he talks over and over again about the struggles and the persecution and the pain that he experiences. And then by the time he gets to chapter 12, he says, I am weak, and I sought the Lord. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul never questioned whether God was good or whether God was loving. All things work together for good for those who love God. And are called according to His purpose. That's when we discover God's true love. Paul goes on to say, verses 31 through 34, And if God is for you, who can be against you? You know, I remember when I was in youth group in high school. I'll never forget this. I remember the youth leader saying, You know, let me tell you how to think about this. Me and God, we're a majority. It's a great way to think about it. Right? Okay, I get first pick. I take God. Go ahead, your pick. Isn't that a great way to think about it? It doesn't matter who you choose, what you choose, the enemies against you, the challenges in the world around you, the temptation, the trials, it doesn't matter. Me and God is a majority. Defeat any power, any challenge, any struggle for all eternity. That's what Paul is trying to say here. The end of chapter 7, after taking an assessment of his life, another place to look is Philippians 3 when he starts adding up all the good things about himself and says, I counted all as refuse. End of chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? But he had to send Jesus to the cross in order to accomplish that. That Jesus took my place because I wasn't sufficient. He was. He is. Because of the depth of God's love.
the only righteous one, had to die for me. That's why Romans 8 begins with, There is now no condemnation. See, there's no condemnation. All there is is love. And we live in that love. That we live in the power of the resurrection. We live with the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat the power of sin and death in us so that we learn to live this life with Christ, in Christ, and live for the resurrection and eternal life. Walking in His love. Walking in His strength. All things work together for good. So you get to this end section. Who will separate us from the love of God? Who will separate us from the love of God? One of the renderings of that word is tear us away. We really, in some ways... Some of you have experienced that kind of ripping apart in your life. About two or three years ago, a group of us went up to hear five or six African bishops. And one of those bishops was a guy by the name of Bishop Abraham from South Sudan. And I don't know how many of you have heard of the Lost Boys of South Sudan. But Bishop Abraham was one of the lost boys, and he wrote a book, Lost No More. And in it, he talked about his life. It was an incredible book. And many of his family were killed. He lost his country because the, the Sudanese came in and killed all of his family. And he became a refugee, fled the country. He knew the love of Christ. He came to the love of Christ. Now, this is a person who got separated from everything that provided stability in his life. A livelihood, earthly, material stability, his family, his country. And he found stability in the love of God in Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He becomes not only a committed believer, a clergyman, eventually a bishop, and he goes to South Sudan. Because his life is now found in Jesus Christ and his security is found in eternity, not in this world. See, we don't even understand that kind of depth of commitment. power of the gospel the power of God's love the power of the Holy Spirit when Paul goes through this list hardship distress, persecution nakedness, peril he's talking about human needs, human struggles, this flesh he talks about environmental, climactic challenges and changes He goes to the extent of life and death, the full extreme, the beginning and the end. He talks about angels and rulers, which means good spirits and evil spirits. 
We're fascinated with those today. Just watch television and the shows that come on. He talks about heights or depths. If you want a translation for that, it's terrestrial and celestial, which the ancients were fascinated with. Everything on earth and the, the heavenly beings. You know what? If you're concerned about aliens, you don't have to be, okay? He's got that covered too. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. This is an all and nothing. All things work together for good for those who love God and called according to His purpose. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. If we really understand the depth of God's love. Paul's gospel at times seems complicated. Particularly when you get into chapter 7 and you know the tongue twister. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. I don't understand myself. I understand it's complicated. But really, when you take it slow and you read it slowly and you walk through it, it's really not that complicated. He's just trying to be comprehensive and at the same time basic. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And it's not just for head knowledge. It's about God's love through Jesus Christ, who is our way, our truth, and our life. And it's not to be taken lightly. So many Christians take the gospel lightly. It's as if it makes little to no impact on your life. Love? What does love mean? The love of God in Jesus Christ, He went to the cross and died for us. What does love mean to you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The whole of your being. The whole of your life. In response to Jesus on the cross. The gospel is not to be taken lightly. So many Christians, it's hard to distinguish your life from everyone else. And yet Jesus said, You'll do what I'll, I do, and greater things than these. And Paul talks about the righteousness of Christ. If this love, this love of Christ, has broken into your life, 
You're changed. Because you can't be the same. You can't be. Because that's what the gospel does. Let's pray. Lord God, our world was broken. We look around and we see broken lives, broken people. And yet, Lord, your desire is that we would discover your love. And how even when disasters and challenges and struggles come our way, you promise that all things will work together for good. And you invite us to choose. The only thing that can separate us from your love is our choice to not accept it. Our choice to walk away. Our choice even to take it lightly. Lord, I pray everyone here would come to that understanding of what you offer in Jesus Christ. What you offer in the person and power of the gospel through the cross and the resurrection what you offer in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to make your love real in our hearts and our lives. To bring peace and joy. To bring grateful hearts, especially as we approach Thanksgiving. Lord, I pray this Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving day that every person in this room would have something to be grateful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And the love of God filling our hearts and our homes because we know you and trust you and your purpose in our lives. Help this gospel to be true for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.